Many of us have felt it. That sick feeling that seeps into your stomach. You anxiously wonder if your alarm clock will wake you up in time to catch that early morning flight. Or you feel intense anxiety about whether you'll be safe exploring a new city on your own. Anxiety and other mental health challenges are a very normal part of life. But how do we manage them when we're abroad? You're listening to Alpaca My Bags, the podcast where we chat about responsible travel. I'm your host, Erin, and today we're talking about mental health and travel. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to quickly take a moment to let you know that you can now support Alpaca My Bags on Patreon. So what can you do for just $5 a month, Katie? Well, uh, you will ultimately keep the podcast going and help us pay our guests. So scroll to the bottom of our show notes now to find the link to subscribe. You can do this right now while listening to the rest of this show. According to the National Institute of Health, nearly half of the world's population, 33.7%, experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their life. It's one of our most common mental health conditions, and yet we don't talk about it very much. I know this from personal experience. I'll be completely candid here. All my life, I never questioned my anxiety because it was just part of my cognitive experience. Feeling constant anxiety was normal. But as I got older, it worsened. It got to the point where sometimes I couldn't get out of bed, and sometimes I found myself falling into a state of panic that would evolve into panic attacks. I remember the day that I sat in my doctor's office and I told her, I think I need help. I described to her that I felt a constant sense of nervousness, a physical feeling in my stomach that never went away. And I had been feeling it worsening for months. Eventually, I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder and was able to get help in the form of therapy and medication. Although I do still experience chronic anxiety, I'm doing much better today. While travel, for me, has always helped me to ease my anxiety, for others, leaving home can trigger it. I asked some of you on our Instagram what makes you anxious when you travel. Some of you shared that while away, you feel anxious about your loved ones back home. Like, what if something were to happen to one of them while you were away? Some of you said that forgetting items or missing a flight or the fear of turbulence on a plane causes anxiety. And in a recent episode with Ashley and Natalie from Fat Girls Travel 2, as well as with Peppermint in our Traveling Trans episode, they described the anxiety they've found around how they'll be perceived in new countries and airports. So today, we're digging into mental health with Talia Singer. She is a registered psychotherapist, mental health nurse, and art therapist. Her work is dedicated to listening and helping when people feel overwhelmed or just need a helping hand. Talia is the host of her own podcast, Whatever Works, where she explores the weird and wonderful world of psychotherapy. Welcome to the show, Talia. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start by asking you if you could just share a bit about your work and how you got into it. Well, the journey was not linear. I started out in high school thinking that I would be an artist. And when I told my parents, like, I'm going to go to OCAD, they said, no way. And so I chose nursing. I chose nursing because I knew that it would be four years and then I would find employment. I didn't know that I would love it so much. And my first job right, in, right out of nursing school was in the hospital in the psychiatric unit. And once I was there, I really kind of like 
got into the world of mental health in in kind of like in short. And through different career opportunities in community nursing, I found my way to the world of therapy, art therapy in particular. And it was really great to marry my kind of like high school dreams of being an artist together with the um, medical side of, I guess, healthcare, combine the two into art therapy. Okay, so it sort of offers another avenue of communication for those who might not be able to find the words to convey how they're feeling, then they have an opportunity to maybe draw how they're feeling. Exactly. Cool. So this is a travel podcast. Anxiety is a big part of travel. So that is what we're going to talk about today. I will admit I have been very guilty of assuming that everyone enjoys travel. When I was younger, I had a really hard time wrapping my head around why not every single person wouldn't want to save all their money to go on a trip. And admittedly, I think I was ignorant to the fact that not everyone enjoys travel. I think for some people, the idea of leaving home and going somewhere new is really overwhelming. What is it about traveling that can be emotionally or mentally overwhelming, do you think? Well, I think it's really easy to put kind of the onus on everything that's external to traveling. Like, you know, you tell yourself that it's the flying or the weird food or even the strange customs. But all of the experiences of anxiety are internal. It's all the thoughts that you have about flying. It's all the feelings that you have about, you know, different customs or the fears of like, what if? What if I feel this way and there's nothing familiar around me? Chances are, if you kind of like have a fear of travel, that fear kind of like lives every day in your life in some capacity. Okay. So, and actually, like, while we're on this, could you explain, like, in very basic terms, like, what anxiety really is? Like, how would you define this experience? Mm-hmm. All anxiety really is, is a reaction to risk perception. A lot of times we have a physiological response to risk perception. That fear response that we get, like increased heart palpitations, the knot in your stomach or sweaty palms, it's all an automatic assessment of being in danger. Now, the danger doesn't have to be real. It could be perceived or even projected into the future. Right. And I guess some of those feelings can be related to like our relationships with other people or like social situations. It doesn't necessarily need to be like a physical experience. Mm -hmm. Sometimes our assessment of something that is different is like danger. Watch out. There's like something dangerous here when it really is just different or unusual or has the possibility of making us feel uncomfortable. So at the top of the show, I shared a bit about my personal experience with generalized anxiety disorder. Despite my personal struggles with mental health, I've actually found that I feel very at ease when I'm traveling. And I'd actually argue that travel is really good for my mental health. It has helped me work through some really difficult emotions like insecurity and grief. And I think this is, it's funny that it is that way for me, because from your description, travel, I would think would be very scary for me, since it is exposing you to something different, to something new. So what is it about travel that could make it such a healing experience for some people? I guess there are some therapeutic aspects of travel. And if that's the case, what would you say they are? Well, one of the common treatments for anxiety or phobias in particular is something called exposure therapy. Exposing yourself to things that scare you and then like surviving it uh, can actually 
be really healing, therapeutic, even thrilling. So facing your fears, if you do have like some fears of travel and then you face them, uh, can be really uplifting when you succeed. So I guess that would explain why like my very first few trips, I did feel very nervous and scared and anxious. But now that I've been on many, it's become less of a source of anxiety and fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exposing yourself to like vulnerability, and then finding out you're made of tougher stuff. It feels good. Yeah, absolutely. So for some travel related anxiety can be so overwhelming that it keeps them from traveling altogether. Do you have advice or strategies for people who want to overcome that fear? Yeah, so the definition of really any kind of like pathology when it comes to your mental health is that it interferes with your daily living. You kind of like want to do something you want. Let's say you would like to travel, but the phobia of travel keeps you grounded. If this is something that interferes with your state of happiness, uh, kind of causes you some dysfunction in any way, then it probably could be considered a pho phobia that you could go to therapy for and talk about it and explore it and even do some exposure therapy that's graduated. But if your fear of flying or travel, uh, you know, uh, keeps you at home and you have absolutely no problem with it because, you know, you love your hometown and you never want to leave it, it's not really a problem. Uh, yeah, I think that harkens back to what I was saying earlier in this conversation about like, I had this assumption when I was younger that like every person wants to travel and it was really hard for me to recognize that no, like some people really just, it's, they don't care for it. It's not something that they dream of or have like, like you say, they're just happy. And so why, why um, force yourself to do something unless it's something you really want? If it is something that you want and it's, some, it's stopping you from traveling, I think that, you know, uh, that kind of anxiety can be really exhausting if you're prone to like chronic anxiety. So if you're prone to always calculating whether something is risky or it's safe or it's hazardous, with travel there's so much that's new, uh, your risk assessment might be overwhelmed and it can be really draining thinking about traveling and that might stop you. And that would be a shame if you really wanted to go. Right. So if someone wanted to, really did want to go, where would be like a good place to start? Would you say that like, it would be helpful to start sort of like this exposure therapy concept, maybe start with a trip within your own state or your own province, or travel somewhere by car for starters? Absolutely. I think that that's a great place to start. And I think that there's a lot of online resources that could probably help you with travel anxiety. Another thing that I recommend to people is to make a little anxiety toolkit to take with them on a plane or a train or a car, wherever they're traveling, and kind of like prepare to be anxious. Just kind of like accept that it'll be your travel companion. And whenever you're just like highly aware of this travel companion anxiety, and it's like, kicking the back of your seat, then you take out your anxiety toolkit. And whatever you've prepared in that toolkit, whether it's kind of like a snack that you like, or something to hold in your hand, or a piece of music that you know always helps you, I think a little psychological first aid can go a long way. 
Totally. I was going to say, I, when we travel, I always have a couple movies that I know I really love that I download to my phone. And whenever I'm feeling like stressed, I just watch them and it just makes me feel like safe and warm because it's just something that I know and that I love and enjoy. And I don't know, that's been really effective for me for helping out when I'm having a high stress day abroad. I have to ask what the movies are. I'm so curious. <laughs> it's so terrible because <laughs> this is so such personal. a bad movie. It's so bad. Love Actually. Oh, I don't I love know Love why, Actually. But... <laughs> it's such a good movie. Are you kidding? It's the greatest movie. <laughs> that is the most heartwarming movie you could possibly watch. I love watch that movie. Because it's like purely feel good. So, yeah, I also wanted to ask, like, do you have any tips for identifying specific things that are causing you the anxiety? Because I know that personally, sometimes I know, like, I can identify that I'm feeling high anxiety, but I'm not sure. I don't know that I can isolate what it is exactly that's causing it. Do you have any tips for people who are having that kind of trouble identifying like what it is about the trip that is is causing the anxiety. I think one of the most common kind of anxiety provoking things about travel is managing expectations about the trip or the vacation itself. This is probably very like personal to me. But when you have like allotted vacation days at your work, then your time is limited and you have the pressure of making it kind of like worth it, having a good time. And it's kind of like the agony and ecstasy of travel. Like you're so excited to go, but yet you're like, oh my God, I only have five days. There's a lot of pressure associated with making, with having a good time. Yeah, I can totally relate to that experience. Um, I actually wanted to ask you, is there anything else that tends to stress you out when you yourself travel? I am so bad with turbulence on flights. I am that woman, you know, clutching <laughs> the handles, you know, of the seat. And yeah. if you are a stranger who's so unfortunate to sit beside you, I will give you a glance that's just asking with my eyes to hold your hand. Um, and you will probably like cringe closer to the, to like the window or wherever is that you're closest to away from me. But I too have a little psychological toolkit either. I listen to like, um, I do listen to podcasts or I listen to comedy routines. Um, but I do need to like do something like auditory or I'll wind up eating like every single snack in my carry on. <laughs> so the, those are my coping mechanisms. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of like visualize the plane like smoothing out. I just try to visualize the plane smoothing out. But like, you know, stand up comedy, that really helps me too. Yeah. I actually, because you're, you're touching on something I wanted to ask you about, which is probable stresses versus unpredictable stresses. Because when I think about travel, like there are very probable sources of stress, like turbulence, like being in a cramped small plane, like having to find your hotel. Those are all pretty predictable things that you will encounter. How do we manage like anxiety about something that is unpredictable. So for example, I know a lot of people will feel anxious about the prospect of maybe getting mugged. And that is something that is not statistically very likely to happen. But I think it still causes a lot of stress for travelers. So how would you manage um, those unpredictable stresses? So I think I really 
kind of relate to you saying that really inevitably in travel, something doesn't go to plan or that you have some sort of minor stress or inconvenience and accepting the imperfection of the whole experience could be one part of it. But if there's like if you're traveling and you encounter something like a mugging or, you know, a trip to the hospital, even though it's unlikely, you've kind of earned the right to be stressed <laughs> or kind of like upset about it, if you know what I mean. Like if you are on vacation and like your wallet or passport is stolen, like, yeah, em embrace it. <laughs> it's really upsetting. Like allow yourself to be upset about it, you know, maybe not like ruin everything, but um, maybe don't anticipate those kinds of bad things from happening or manage those thoughts anticipating bad things from happening. So if you're noticing yourself, you're like at home in your apartment and you're visualizing being mugged, then perhaps just notice that you're visualizing being mugged and rein those thoughts in. Mm, yeah. And I have to say like from personal experience, I have been mugged twice oh <laughs> traveling <laughs> and now I don't feel anxiety about it because now I know like in both cases yes it was not a pleasant experience and it did cause a lot of chaos in that trip but in both cases everything turned out fine and now when I recall those experiences they're just like a minor blip in the midst of like what was a really amazing trip. And so I think it's helpful to think about, okay, in the long term, it will be in the moment very stressful, but we're going to move on from it and everything will be okay, especially in today's day and age when like if you lose your wallet, getting a new debit card or a new visa card is much, much easier than it used to be. And I find that that gives me a sense of calm just knowing that now we have all these tools available to help us um, deal with high stress situations like this. Hmm. Agreed. Yeah. I, I wound up in the hospital on my honeymoon <laughs> because uh, we were in Thailand. It was really hot. And my husband on any vacation likes to get up at the crack of dawn and walk <laughs> until like two o'clock in the morning. And I think I suffered dehydration and I was like hospitalized. And the next morning, like I'm released from hospital and my husband's like there to like pick me up. He's like, you ready to go? We got more, more to see today. <laughs> and so I think that was helpful in kind of like, okay, well, that was a crappy day, but today is like a new day. Okay, let's carry a bottle of water and gingerly make our way around the city wherever we were. Yeah, my partner and I now, we've, we've had many high stress situations <laughs> while we travel. And now we're at the stage where when we're in the midst of one. So for example, I've talked about this before on the show, we were driving through Jordan. Um, we had rented a car and we were in the middle of the desert, like literally no one for miles and the car broke down. And we were stuck on the side of the road with like very little phone connection and no idea what we were going to do about this, this broken car. And I remember us, like we looked at each other and said, this is very stressful right now, but in three weeks, we will think it's funny. And sure enough, now we talk about it because it, we found, we figured it out and everything was okay. And now we can look back at that situation and just think of it as like a funny thing that we had to overcome together. <laughs> There you go. So I wanted, we've talked a bit about the personal toolkit, and I think it's good to to share a little bit more about that because it is, for me, something that's helped a lot. So 
first of all, like I think it's important to say, I I personally take medication for my generalized anxiety disorder. So the first thing I do before we travel is make sure that I have enough medication with me because running out would be very catastrophic. But I also have other things that I bring. So for example, I bring earplugs um, and I bring a little pillow with me to help me sleep. I have the same travel pillow that I've taken on probably the last like 10 trips with me. And I just like have a little relationship with this pillow. It's just like my safety pillow. Mm -hmm. It's a transitional (laughs) object, you know? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I also like to carry a a photo or something personal with me that reminds me of my family at home. So these are all things that I find like helps me feel safe and helps me sleep. Another big thing for me is communication. So my family, we all talk on WhatsApp daily. We have a group chat. We didn't always have that. It's actually a more recent thing that we've done. But I found on more recent trips, having that um, family chat is super reassuring. And it allows me to chat with my family every day, especially my mom. And just like being able to communicate on a daily basis, I find makes me feel like connected to home. So that's something that works for me really well in my um, my kit, my personal toolkit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I've got the family WhatsApp too, and we also communicate daily. And I think it is really comforting. You could be in, you know, a corner of the world, you don't know anyone, but you've got them in your pocket. And I know that, you know, we are technology saturated and it's nice to disconnect. Um, but even if you use it just for that purpose to kind of take them with you, I think that that's a really nice way to kind of manage stress. Mm-hmm, totally. And I don't think it even needs to be family. Like I have told friends of mine, you can message me if you want, because I know not everyone is super close with their family, but hopefully every person has a friend or someone back home that they can keep an ongoing dialogue with to maintain that sort of connection to home. I think even a travel journal can also help with putting things into perspective. So whether you've had a really great day or really awful day, it's kind of like a log that really kind of tracks a timeline of your trip. If you've had a bad day, you can look back at the log and say like, well, today was crappy, but I did have three good days before that. I also wanted to talk a bit about self-care. I I'm not the biggest fan of the term self-care, but I, I think that there's this association of self-care with this very like Instagrammy, Pinterest-y <laughs> um, version of self-care that I think needs to be expanded. There's a lot of like privilege wrapped up in a lot of the, the like activities that we call self-care. Like make your own bath salts type of thing. Like, yeah. Yes, I don't know that that's like accessible for all people to like, not everyone has the time or the resources to um, participate in that version of self-care. But I think like self-care, if we think about it in an expanded way, it's just like making time to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. I know that a lot of people will, or it's tempting to pack our days super full when we're traveling. And it can be easy to forget, okay, maybe I need to have like a relaxed morning or an evening in at the hotel just to watch my movie or listen to a podcast. What are your thoughts on this? Like, how can we balance a busy trip with time taking care of ourselves? I I agree with you uh, when you like the term self-care has been like very much kind of like commercialized. 
I really do believe it's very subjective. Uh, you know, I told you that little story about my honeymoon in Thailand. My husband and I have very kind of separate uh, goals when we go away on vacation. It, he feels that what he needs in order to manage his expectations and stressors around any trip is to kind of have the freedom to get up and go. I don't necessarily need to be out the entire day. I do need that downtime. And I think the communication between us, um, and I say that really politely, but I'm like, I'm not going with you. And so that's usually what it sounds like. Um, and being able to stay in contact, but also give each other the space to do the things that we need need to do. So no, I don't think that there's anything prescriptive about self-care. I don't think we all need downtime. I think we just need to listen to what, you know, we're each individually what we need. Yeah, totally. I, I've noticed this like in group trips, especially. I think like people can sometimes have a bad experience on a group trip because it's very hard to open up that communication about what each person needs individually. And like you say, like my partner and I are also very like when we travel, we'll sometimes have a day where we decide together mutually. We just need to be apart from each other. I want to do this. He wants to do something else. And we recognize that we both need that personally and there's no hard feelings. But I think especially like in group travel, it can be very, um, hard to communicate that, especially when people might perceive that as you not wanting to spend time with them or you just not wanting to, to, to do the trip in the way that someone else does. Do you have any tips for how people can navigate this, especially if they're traveling in a larger group? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's an expectation sometimes that if we're taking care of our own needs, we're really selfish or neglectful of other people people. And so long as you communicate, when I travel, I actually really like to wake up really early in the morning. I'm a morning person. I like being up and being like really out the door by like eight o'clock in the morning, somewhere exploring something and then being kind of back in the afternoon, but not everybody enjoys this. And so on a group trip, and this happened when I was on a group trip for work, I had to turn to my colleagues and say like, I'll see you later on. I'm going to go explore, you know, this part of the city at this time. And you've got my phone number, so maybe we'll meet up for lunch. And if there are hurt feelings, you know, that Talia is going off and doing her own agenda, it's not exactly your responsibility all the time to manage other people's feelings. You can have a conversation about it uh, and can make some compromises, but ultimately people are allowed to feel however they feel and, and you're allowed to do whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. Is that hard to hear? No. Do what you want you to do. do. You do you. You do you. I know. And I have to say like another anecdote. The one um, bus tour I ever did, I was on it with a friend of mine, Philip, and it was like a very high energy bus trip. Every single day, like the tour got up super early and we made like many stops throughout the day. It was go, 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 go. And Philip and I were both feeling like oh, we're exhausted from this. We just we just need a break from this. And I remember everyone on our tour thinking it was nuts that we decided to bow out one day. We just decided, okay, we're not, we're not going on the tour today. And we stayed in the hostel all day and did nothing while the tour was out, like going around the countryside. This was in Scotland. And um, we just had an amazing day, just bumming around in the hostel, going for walks. I think like people don't realize that you can do that. It's okay. It's okay to just take a day off when you travel. 
Absolutely. And I think that uh, another, I think, personal example that I can think of was I took a trip when I was in my 20s. I did one of those like European tours. And we had a day uh, in which we were visiting a concentration camp. And I had already been to another concentration camp. I'm Jewish, and I grew up with a lot of knowledge and teachings around the Holocaust. And I was on this trip with a large group, many of them had not they didn't have the upbringing that I had. And I decided to not go on that particular trip that day. And I remember it being very kind of like a, like a discussion that was debated amongst the group. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to see? And I said, for myself today, the thing that I need to take care of myself is do something different. I, I sat outside. I didn't go in. And that was important for me to stand my ground that day and say, like, I am emotionally exhausted and I'm going to stay outside today. Mm. I think there's a lot of universal tra travel anxieties, and I think it's important to touch on the impact of our identities on our mental health, because speaking from my personal experience, I found my personal anxieties are very much connected to my gender identity. I've noticed when traveling with men that they don't have the same safety concerns that I do. They aren't anxious about walking around at night or being catcalled. And in interviewing guests for the show, I've learned about travel-related anxieties and fears that I personally can't relate to. So like the experience that you've just shared is not one that I can personally relate to because I'm not Jewish and I wasn't raised in Jewish tradition. So would you say that there's an aspect of intersectionality when it comes to mental health? And if so, why is it important to acknowledge this intersectionality? It's important to acknowledge because we're all very complex individuals with multiple identities. Our existence crosses multiple social strata. And some people identify with and are disadvantaged on more than one of these stratification systems. So intersectionality is, you know, a term that we use to describe power and discrimination because of your history with anxiety, you're also describing ableism. Um, this power deferential is like rarely discussed. So like you're, you're discussing being a woman, you're discussing having anxiety. Um, and this is like different layers to your existence. And when we talk about intersectionality, we don't often apply it to something as positive and relaxing, like travel and vacation. We usually apply it to like serious matters of like education and healthcare, like the, the meat and potatoes of every day. But it can, this is why it can be taken for granted. We also have to look at intersectionality in our leisure activities because the disparities don't go away when we're on vacation. And like, Personally, I have found, especially when I used to travel as a solo woman, that it sometimes would cause me to feel like very complex feelings while traveling. Like sometimes I would feel jealous that the men I met in <laughs> hostels were so relaxed and carefree and comfortable. I remember this, especially in Morocco, just like looking at the men in the hostel with me and thinking, I wish that I could be as relaxed as you are, but I'm not because every time I leave this hostel, I have some sort of disconcerting like experience with men catcalling me or something. Like, wouldn't and, it be nice if feminism could go on vacation too? <laughs> yeah, Be like, you've worked hard all year, feminism, go take five days off, you know, while <laughs> I'm in Morocco. 
So how do we navigate these disparities in anxiety and experience? Well, you know, I think they're, the world is becoming more aware. Our language is becoming more inclusive. Some parts of the world are slower to catch up than others. Um, and so, yeah, I think preparing. And so part of your trip to Morocco might would have been like a mental preparation, like, okay, I might face X, or I might feel this feeling, you know, why? What am I going to do when I'm, I come up against this? And sometimes you can plan for it. And sometimes it takes you by surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually like reflecting on that experience. So I've discussed this on the podcast before, but I was sexually assaulted when I was in Morocco, which obviously heightened my my feelings of distress and anxiety while I traveled there. And um I want to emphasize too that like I still I loved that trip and had an incredible time and I would absolutely go back. I don't think that my experience is reflective of every woman's experience in Morocco. But something that really helped, I recall, is that when I came back to the hostel, a couple people could see that I was upset. And I remember particularly one man coming over to me and asking if I wanted to talk about it what was upsetting me. And I told him no, but he sat with me for a little bit. And eventually, I think like later that evening, I told him what had happened and he listened. And he later said to me, if there's anything you need or any support that you want, just let me know. If you want me to walk you to the, like wherever you're headed next, I'll walk you, I'll wait for you outside the market. He just offered support. And I remember feeling very grateful for that. And so what can other people do like to support BIPOC or women or people who are like people of differing, differing identities from their own? How can you offer support to those people when you see that they're experiencing distress while abroad? So whether it has to do with something, you know, like you described that's very personal uh, and and painful, um, or whether it has to do with, you know, other types of stressors or travel anxieties, I don't think you necessarily have to live that person's experience to be supportive and kind of relate to how they feel. Emotions, are, they're highly relatable. If you've ever felt scared or vulnerable, you have a path to empathy of just sitting with that person and just allowing them to feel, you know, what they're feeling and kind of do exactly what that guy said, which is said, I'm here for you. You might not know what it's like to be them. So he doesn't know what it's like to have been in your shoes. But I don't think that that's always necessary to be supportive. And this is, you know, very much like, you know, therapy in general, people who come to therapy wish to be understood even more than they wish to be identified with. To be understood is a very powerful experience. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that um, that's something that we've brought up a couple times, especially recently on the show, is the importance of just listening to people. And I think in the travel community, especially in the hostel setting, there's a lot of space for us to do that for each other, too. If you see that someone is lonely or upset, just like listen to them or offer offer that you will listen to them if that's something that, that they want. Mm-hmm. And even as he said, that guy said, you know, like, what do you need from me? I think that's a really powerful question. 
And, you know, I took him up on that. Like later I did, I wanted to, I, I didn't want that experience to ruin my trip. And so I fought that because I did consider leaving afterwards and flying into Europe. But instead, I decided to take him up on his offer. And he did. He just walked with me to wherever I wanted to go. And it gave me a sense of security from from someone who genuinely wanted to provide that. And um, yeah, I think that was a very powerful, powerful thing for him to do. So that's an example of like where a moment in which I think I was on the brink of like a bit of a mental crisis while traveling. And I think that that this is is something many of us face when we travel because there's so much opportunity for us to, yeah, find ourselves in high stress situations. So what what can a person do if they find themselves um, in mental crisis abroad? For example, like if you feel a panic attack coming on. Well, I think that a panic attack is a little bit different than a crisis like you experienced. And a panic attack might be as a result of the crisis that you experienced. But um, I don't know if I want to minimize, you know, uh, negative feelings when it comes to a crisis. Like, I I don't think it would have been helpful for him to say, shake it off, you know. Um, it's just, you know, anxiety about an assault or something like that. I think that you know, in bad situations, bad feelings demand acknowledgement. And so when you're having a bad experience, uh, acknowledge that it feels bad. And then kind of like you can decide where to go from there. And also accept that a, a bad feeling about that experience doesn't necessarily have to go away in order for you to move on. You could still feel badly about the event. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we're always trying, I think in this kind of day and age and like Instagram, we kind of like expect ourselves to be perpetually happy. But yeah, shitty things feel shitty. (laughs) Can I say that on this podcast? (laughs) Yes. Bad things feel bad. (laughs) It's okay (laughs) to sometimes feel bad. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry. I think this touches on your earlier point about managing expectations, about like mm-hmm. us wanting to, us wanting a trip to be perfect. And I think the reality is like a trip never will be perfect. Yeah. I mean, a panic attack, a panic attack is something that could be also related to a perceived threat. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a real perceived threat. Um, You're having like a physiological response. Your brain is telling you that you're in danger, like like you would be if if you were locked in a lion's cage with a lion type of thing. And you're having this kind of like physiological response. And panic attacks feel like you're dying, but it is helpful when you are having a panic attack to tell yourself this feels really bad. It feels like I'm dying. No one has ever died from a panic attack. And panic attacks are time limited. And they do pass. And this will pass, even if it sucks right now. That kind of self-talk. Um, so, okay. So we have some questions from listeners. I posted on Instagram to see if people had specific questions for you. And we have a couple. So I'm hoping we can go through them with you. Okay, so one of our listeners told us that they feel anxious before a trip sometimes because they worry the trip won't live up to their expectations. And this is something we've already touched on, but I think we can dig into it a bit more. (laughs) They worry that they won't have as great a time as they imagined they would. And I can like say from personal experience, like 
especially I find with like attractions, I'll find that they disappoint me. And that feeling of disappointment is like very frustrating because you, especially when you don't have a lot of time to travel, it's like you want every moment to be perfect and, and exciting and to live up to those expectations. So do you have any tips for how we can manage our expectations before we travel so that we avoid that fear of disappointment? Mm, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting question because we talked about, you know, Instagram expectations versus real life we all have kind of like these experiences where let's say like you buy an outfit in the store and then you see yourself photographed in said outfit and you're like, damn, you know, it yeah. didn't look the way I thought it would look. If you're really not traveling to avoid fear of being disappointed by something, then I think that your anxieties are broader than this one issue. Like if you're like literally staying home because you don't want to be disappointed, then I think this oh. is like a bigger issue. But yeah. if you know, if you kind of like get there you know to this like you said like there's like an attraction you get there it doesn't exactly look like it did in the brochure or the online photos or you know whatever it might be then I think that we can just like adjust adjust be flexible and that's much easier said than done but flexibility I think is necessarily necessary in all manner of like travel and uh, things like that to kind of like okay plan a didn't exactly go to plan you know, do I have a plan B? Do I have a plan C? Do I have a plan D? And so when you get to that location and you're like, huh, doesn't look like the photo, I don't necessarily think it would ruin your day. Totally. And I think like this is something that all of us are experiencing more and more and more because especially with social media, so many of these photos have been edited and a lot of the time you're not seeing like the photo is not representative of what a place will look like in real life. And so I think like this disappointment is a very real risk that we're all taking when we um, become so invested in specifically one location or one experience when we're traveling. Isn't it funny, like the cognitive dissonance of like, we know that we might take like 20 photos and then choose one to post to our own social media, but we're kind of like shocked and appalled when we get somewhere. It doesn't look exactly like the photo. <laughs> yeah. like, they did the exact same thing. There's like this disconnect, right? Between like the amount of photos we take and adjust whatever that, to put on our own social media. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've actually like one tactic of mine recently is that I just don't over research places anymore. I used to very obsessively research a place before I went. I would follow the tag on Instagram, constantly scroll through photos that people had taken there. And I just find now it's better to really minimize that and just like maybe read a little bit about the place so I know, like I understand it like from a historical perspective, but not get obsessed with like what it looks like so much. I really like that because you kind of get to meet this place, this location or this experience on your own terms and, you know, develop your own memory of it rather than trying to match your memory of the photo or the video to the actual experience. It's a very mindful way to travel. I like that. Are there any places that have disappointed you? <laughs> For my 40th birthday, my husband took me to Iceland on a surprise trip and we went to the very Instagrammable Blue Lagoon. And I remember when I got there, like, you know, when you see the photos of the Blue Lagoon on Instagram, especially, I mean, it's, it's deserted. There's like one person <laughs> with 
they're back to you. First of all, you should know that Iceland is freezing. And so like, you can't wait to get in the water and be completely submerged because it's so cold. And then it's like one of those like, you know, places like, what are they called? Like these giant wave pools that are just crammed with people. Absolutely crammed. And everybody's trying to take a photo, but there's like 85 people in the background shot. And so I think that that location is as beautiful and as lovely as it is. uh, You know, I had that little bit of like, huh, not like, not like I was expecting kind of moment. (laughs) Yeah, I I can relate to that. I found... um like the most disappointing places for me have been places that have been really crowded. Going to the Louvre, for example, I I was so excited to go, but then dealing with the crowds the entire time, it just, it really contributed to this feeling of disappointment because I didn't feel like I could experience it in the way that I had wanted to or expected to. I know everybody wants to have like the Beyonce and Jay-Z appointment with the Mona Lisa, you know, but then you're at like the back of a mob of people and you've got like (laughs) your phone camera and like the Mona Lisa is a pinprick in the distance. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So for our next question, this is a good one. So for some of us introverted and solo travelers, loneliness can be a source of anxiety and stress. There's a lot of pressure to be social with strangers, especially if you're traveling through hostels. So one of our listeners wanted to know how we can equip ourselves to handle loneliness when we're traveling. Well, if you would like to engage, so this goes back to the idea, like, is this something that is bothering you and getting in your way? So if it's something that you would like to address, I often suggest to engage someone in conversation that's entirely mundane, like If you feel like you're not interesting enough to start a conversation or that the expectations would be too much, then start out with something like really, really benign, like asking for directions or, you know, uh, asking for the time. And once you get over the hump of opening your mouth, it might be a little bit easier because they might ask you a question. But the approach is often the thing that we stress about the most, like, what am I going to say? And so if you like pick something like entirely like mundane and just be like, can I just like check with you the time or whatever it might be. Now that we all have like iPhones and smartwatches, it's it's hard to do that. But whatever it might be that might be like really innocuous, then you, once you just open your mouth, it's just easier to get over the hump. Another good trip tip is to try to strike up a conversation at a, at a location or activity that you're really looking forward to because you might find it easier to find like-minded people in said location. So like I was taking like a Thai cooking class when I was on my honeymoon in Thailand and I could pretty much assume that everyone there was really interested in cooking or like trying new cuisines. And then, you know, like you make a comment about like the eggplant or something like that. And it's just like one way to open. It's an invitation basically to speak some more. Yeah. I know when I traveled solo, personally in hostels, I would always stay in multi-person dorms and I was very nervous to talk to people, but I made it my mission to just say hello to everyone. So whenever a new person would come into the hostel dorm room, I would just make a point of just saying hello. How are you? And that's it. And just leaving it at that. And that I found that that would open up um, the space to have more of a discussion, especially if that person was interested in chatting. Yeah. So that's something that I used to do in hostels. So before we wrap up, Talia, do you have any other advice that you'd like to share for taking care of mental health while we travel? 
Well, I was like looking online. I found this quote that I really liked by Ruth Gendler. She said, fear has a large shadow, but he himself is small. And I really love this quote because if fears are holding you back from doing things that you love, you can talk to someone about it uh, and get strategies and things can change. It could be surmounted. It could be overcome. Well, Talia, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really fun and enlightening conversation. Thank you for having me. Before you go, can you please share uh, a bit about your own podcast and where people can find you? My podcast is called Whatever Works, and it's spelt one word, whatever works. And it's all about each episode explores a different type of psychotherapy from the client's perspective. And so if you're thinking like, I'd really like to talk to a therapist, but A, I don't know what kind of therapy would be a good fit for me. And B, what's it like to be in therapy? You can listen to other people's experiences, uh, tell their stories. Um, and uh, and hear about all of the creative and exciting ways that people are finding to care for themselves and their mental health. You can find whatever works on Spotify and Apple and Google Podcast or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So, Katie, does anything make you anxious about traveling? Well, yes. And I think I'm always the most anxious the day before I'm expected to leave. If I have any travel plans, if I'm catching a flight, regardless of if it's 5 a.m., noon, or 8 p.m., I will not get any sleep the night before. Like, none. I will lay out all of my clothes. I will have literally everything packed and ready by the door because I'm so paranoid of missing things and losing things and arriving to the airport with no passport like that is the ultimate that is the (laughs) ultimate thing for me and I always know I have my passport but I always think I don't so you know the whole like say oh whenever you leave the house check like wallet keys phone yes when you're traveling it's like wallet keys phone passport yes it's passport id uh, and also, somehow I convinced myself that, like, I have illegal substances on me. Uh, actually, <laughs> here's what we can relate to. Do you ever freak out that they're going to look at your EpiPen and be like, you're not allowed in the country? Like, <laughs> my EpiPen always freaks me out. Like, well, okay, here's a hack for that. You know you can get documentation for that. Like, I went to my allergist and he wrote up, like, a letter that I carry with me that explains um, my condition. And then if anyone questions your EpiPen, you can pull out this like signed letter from your doctor. Okay, so you've actually gone that far. (laughs) (laughs) Alpaca My Bags is written and hosted by me, Erin Hines, and it's produced by Katie Lohr. I hope this episode meant as much to you as it did to me. If you enjoyed it, go ahead and leave a review on your podcast app or show us your love on Patreon. Pledging $5 a month or more directly supports the making of this show. The link to our Patreon is in the show notes. That's all for now, Alpaca Pals. I'll talk to you again in two weeks, and I hope you all get to alpaca your bags safely and soon. Bye.